Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for coming on this Palm Sunday. I uh, hope you can understand me and my strange accent. Uh, for any visitors here this morning, I'm not from Australia, um, although a lot of people think I am uh, or have done in the past. Uh, I'm actually from Dudley, uh, which was recently voted the country's worst town. Uh, so I'm quite proud of that. Uh, they had an earthquake, it's a true story, they had an earthquake in Dudley a number of years ago and somebody said it did about £15 billion worth of improvements. So there you go. That's where I come from and it's a delight to be here this morning and uh, I'm a bit daunted actually because Marty keeps talking about something's going to happen and I kept thinking, well that's something that's going to happen is me. So uh, it's a little bit scary, so I hope you're not too disappointed uh, with this Englishman standing up and seeking this morning. But it's, uh, I just love films. Anybody else like watching movies? Anybody else like going to the cinema? I intend to go to anybody else excited about the Batman versus Superman film that's coming out this week. That's made my Easter far more exciting. The fact that there's an amazing film about to come out at the cinema that I shall probably go and see a couple of times. And um, I love films. I love going to the cinema. And I love films where there's a bit of a plot twist. Yeah. Anybody else like films where there's a plot twist, where something happens, something happens, but it's not quite what you expect. So. Hands up anybody that saw Empire Strikes Back the first time round at the cinema, okay? Anybody see it the first time round, okay? All of you Star Wars fans out there, think about what it was like and what you felt like when you discovered that Luke Skywalker was Darth Vader's son. You remember what it felt like? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's dad and Princess Leia's Luke Skywalker's sister, and they had a big snog in Star Wars. What's that all about? I remember being going, oh my goodness, that's incredible. Now, I'm not going to give away what happens in the new Star Wars film. If you've not seen it yet and you want to see it, there's an incredible plot twist. I'm not going to tell you what happens. All I'm going to say is that a little bit of my heart was broken both times when I went to see it. A little bit of me died that day because it was just like, oh, that's terrible what happened there. But they were brilliant at hiding it. So I love films where there's a bit of a plot twist. And you know, life is a little bit of like... Plot twists. There's lots of plot twists that happen to us. So, for instance, wouldn't it be an amazing plot twist this morning if you were to look under your seat and some of you were to find a cabbage cream egg? Do you want to look under your seats and see if you can find a cabbage cream egg? I promise that I haven't stolen them from the buckets outside there, but some of you maybe might find, might find, you have to look really hard because they're kind of stuck underneath, underneath on some of the chairs, on some of them, not all of them, just on some of them. There's a few, if you get one, can you wave it in the air? Yes, anybody else got one? Stand up, stand up for me if you've got a cabbage cream egg. Anybody else got one? There should be a couple up there. There's a couple up there. There should be, I hope, a couple up there. Anybody else? There should be ten. Oh, another one. Yes, another one. Awesome, another one. Now, if you're an adult, okay, if you're an adult and you found your cabbage cream egg, they are sellotaped, I promise, underneath the chair. If you find it and you're an adult and there's a child sitting next to you, maybe you need to ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? no. Now, of course, that can go either way, because maybe you think I should give it away. But maybe one of the stories in the Bible that I'm aware of that theoretically involved a child was where Jesus fed the 5,000, and he actually took food off the child to feed the 5,000, potentially. So I don't know what you want to do. So isn't that a bit of a plot twist for some of you this morning? You got an unexpected treat with a cabbage cream egg. Wouldn't it be an unexpected plot twist this morning if I was to walk over to our beautiful minister, Ken, and cut off his tie? 
Wouldn't that be a plot twist this morning? Should we do that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you think, would you like to stand up for me, Ken? I'm going to cut off Ken's tie. This is a bit of a plot twist this morning. And when we've done this, I want you to give him a big cheer. Okay, here we go. Now, I've got two pairs of scissors because I want to make sure I get it right. So you ready? So drum roll. Patent, everybody patting their knees. Here we go. Apologies to Ken's wife because Ken's wife bought him, bought him that tie. How about that? And did you know what? I've wanted to do that ever since the first day I arrived in Orangefield. So I'm just going to lay it on the table there as a little offering on the altar this morning. Wouldn't that be exciting? It wasn't that exciting. Now, you see, plot twists, things that you didn't expect were going to happen when you came into church this morning. You didn't think you might get a cabbage cream egg. You didn't think I was going to cut the sacred tie off our sacred leader. Plot twists, they're all around us. You know, Jesus was full of plot twists. When you read through the Bible, it's so exciting because the Bible is full of unexpected things that happen. And Jesus was somebody who was a master of plot twists. He did things that were unexpected. He did things that got on people's nerves. He did things that made the religious leaders really annoyed because he kind of went against what they thought was right and true and proper. He did things that people might have thought weren't very respectable. But I love the fact that Jesus performed Plot twists. So the day when Jesus walks up to a man who can't walk, he's got something wrong with his legs and he can't walk, and not very far away from him is this magical pool. And once a year, this thing happens with this pool, and if you jump into the pool first, you can get healed. And every year he goes to get up, but he can't get to the pool quick enough to get in the pool. But Jesus just heals him, and he can walk. That's a plot twist. For that man's life, suddenly that man's life completely changed. All the time when Jesus met the lepers, those lepers outside of the city, and the reason they're outside of the town is because because they've got leprosy, nobody can have anything to do with them. So they've got this terrible disease, and he goes up to them, and he heals all ten of them. And even though only two come back and say thank you, all ten get better. What a plot twist that is for them. Because not only are they healed of this horrendous disease, but guess what? They can go back and integrate into their community. They can go back to their friends. They can eat and drink and be merry with their friends like they used to do before they were sick in their family. What a plot twist that is for these people's lives. When we think about Palm Sunday, and we think about the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, man, that's full of plot twists as well. Stuff was happening there that the people didn't even realize was going on. Now, of course, the people understood. Jesus. They they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And and just to prove it, if you like, just to back up their theory of that, he comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they would have heard about that in their version of Sunday school, how the prophets talked about Messiah coming, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. That wasn't a surprise to them. But they thought he was coming to release them from the evil tyranny of the Romans. They thought Messiah was going to be this amazing warrior who was going to come and just deal with them. A little bit like if you're a Manchester United fan <laughs> and, uh, and you're kind of, your team's not doing very well like most of the time these days and, uh, and you're waiting for Wayne Rooney to come on. And you're thinking, if, Wayne, if only Rooney comes on, he'll score a goal and he'll save the day. In my case, it's West Bromwich Albion and you're kind of hoping and praying that Borahino is going to be in a good mood so that when he comes on, he'll actually cooperate. And it's kind of, this is what the Jews were waiting for. The Israelites were waiting for this Messiah to come and free them. A bit like in the films where somebody's getting bullied and the the hero comes along and beats up the bullies and helps the person who's getting attacked. But you know, if Jesus had been coming to make physical war on the Romans, he wouldn't have come in riding on a donkey. He'd have come in riding on a horse. 
Because horses were all about war. Horses were all about going into battle. When a king rode on a horse, it meant he meant business with his enemies. But Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. And a donkey is all about peace. And when a king was riding on a peaceful mission, he would always ride on a donkey. So he comes in Jerusalem riding on his donkey. The people wave their palms, which is what they did when they welcomed guests of honor. They shout, Hosanna, because they're all desperate, partly out of praise, but partly out of desperation. Save us! Save us! That's what they're shouting. Because they think he's going to get a sword out and he's going to lead a rebellion against the Romans. Desperate people will do desperate things. When I was quite a young lad, I remember being on holiday in Devon, and I befriended this guy, made friends with this young lad, and he was a good swimmer, and I was an okay swimmer. So we decided to go swimming out to a boat that was out, sort of just moored off the, sort of, sort of anchored off the, off the coast a bit. And of course, as this happens in the water, you get into the water, and it looks closer than it really is. And after he'd been swimming a little while, he was a bit ahead of me. I suddenly realized that I was a long way from the shore, but I was an awful long way still from the boat, and it was very deep. And I started to get really tired, and I thought I wasn't going to make it. And I started to, to, to go under the water. And as I came up, I started to shout. I didn't shout Hosanna, but I started to shout something else that I can't remember. Something on the lines of, help, save me. And I went down, and I came up, and I went down. And the third time I came up, a man came past in a dinghy, which he should never do. Came past in a dinghy, and I was able to grab hold of the dinghy, and he dragged me back into the shallow water. And I've never been so relieved, obviously, in my life, because I thought that was it. I thought I was going home to Jesus. Desperate people will shout desperate things. And the, the, the Israelites were desperate. They were desperate for somebody to come and save them. And they thought Jesus was coming. They thought he was the answer. But what they didn't realize was Jesus wasn't coming to free them from the Romans. He was coming to save them from themselves. He was coming to do a spiritual act of salvation that would, would rescue them from their sin, would rescue them, would give them an opportunity to get back in connection with God because they'd lost their connection with God. And of course, a week later, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, that's the greatest plot twist of all, isn't it? Because he dies and they look at him and they go, we thought he was the Messiah, but he's dead. What's the point? What we're going to do? We're disappointed. We thought he was the Messiah, but he couldn't even come down off the cross and save himself, never mind anybody else. But then the greatest plot twist of all happens when three days later, Jesus reappears, risen from the dead, and the world has never been the same since. Jesus, a man full of plot twists. Palm Sunday, a great plot twist. Easter, a great plot twist. What has that got to do with us this morning? What can we take from that this morning? Well, I think a couple of things to say very quickly. And the first one is this. God is good at doing things that you don't expect. We can sometimes think we have God all wrapped up and we understand what he's doing. But sometimes, you know, he wants us to get out of our comfort zones and do things that are a little bit uncomfortable for us. Sometimes he's nudging us and he's saying, I know you don't feel like you've got the, the talent or the gifts or the energy or the knowledge to do that. But you know, if you'll step into that thing I'm asking you to do, I'll give you everything you need. It's an unexpected nudge, but he wants to use you to plot twist your life. 21 years ago, nearly, we, me and my wife just got married. And the phone rang about two weeks after we got married. And it was a friend of mine, good friend of mine now. Church of Ireland rector, former bishop, who's now working with Sam's. He's in South America at the moment. 
And he said, Ian, would you like to come and live in Coleraine, Northern Ireland? 21 years ago, he asked me. 20 years ago, one year later, we left and we celebrated our first wedding anniversary in an empty house because all our furniture was on its way to Coleraine. We'd never, well, I've been to Coleraine a couple of times. Ruth had never been there. The only impressions my family had of Northern Ireland were things they'd seen on the news. Scared the living daylights out of them all. Massive plot twists in our lives. Massive plot twists. God wants to plot twist your life, but he wants to use you to plot twist other people's lives. So Jesus went around and he healed people and he led people out of existence and into life and he brought twists to their lives that changed them forever. And God wants to use you to plot twist somebody else's life. I wonder if there's somebody you know of who's in need right now and God is nudging you to say, help them with what they need. A couple of weeks ago, some of you will know about the incident with my car where my car broke down and I spilt coffee all over my lap and then I jumped on the train having left the car in the car park, got to Belfast on my Thursday, normal Thursday coming here and realized I hadn't put a ticket on my car and so not only did I have to pay a massive bill for my car but I had a parking ticket and it's what I call Black Thursday. It wasn't a great day. And I got back to the car thoroughly depressed. It was pouring me rain and I climbed in the car and pulled off the soggy parking ticket and sat down and thought, oh Lord, What am I going to do? I don't need all this money expenditure at the moment. Ten minutes after I got in the house, I had a message from a friend who said, I saw your status update on Facebook. I'd like to give you some money to cover your parking ticket, and I'd like to give you some money to help cover the expenses of your car. And he came around the next day with an envelope full of money, and indeed the money covered the parking ticket, and the money went an awful long way to covering what I had for my car bill. Plot twist. I wasn't expecting that. He wasn't a rich man. He's just a normal bloke, normal everyday job. He stepped out and became instrument of plot twist in somebody else's life. What's God asking you today to do to twist the plot of somebody else's life? Because that's what Jesus did all the time. But here's the other one, the final one, the greatest plot twist of all. And that is, as you remember, that Jesus came riding on a donkey because he came as the Prince of Peace, not the Prince of War. He came as a man to make peace between us and us. And God. He came to make a way so that we could reconnect with God and find our true identity. There's a phrase in Northern Ireland, uh, one of the phrases that people use here that I really, really despise. There's a lot of things I love about Northern Ireland, but one thing I can't stand, and that is that phrase, good living. Does everyone know what the phrase good living means? Yeah. So I'd been, uh, I'd been in Coleraine about three or four months, and there was a li- used to be a little Bible bookshop in the town, which was on the corner of a street called Mizpah. And it was a little dusty old shop, and these three little old women used to work in it. I think they've been old for as long as I've known them. And I think they were old when they were born. But like, they're in this shop, and, and, um, and, and you'd go into the shop, and it was a little dusty shop, and you would ask them for any Christian book that ever existed. And if it wasn't on show, they'd say, I think we've got one out the back. And they go out, and 10 minutes later, they come out with this book. I'm pretty sure they got copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls sitting outside in their store cupboard. It was that kind of shop. So, uh, so I'm looking in this shop, and, and used to be on a, on a Saturday, it was really funny, because lots of local ministers would come in, and they'd be flicking through the books trying to find their sermon for Sunday. That's kind of how it used to work. So I'm in there flicking through a book trying to find my sermon for Sunday. And, um, and this lady comes into the shop, and of course, I wasn't that familiar with Northern Irish terminology at that point. And she turns to me and she said, is this the good living shop? And I thought she was on about a health shop. So I sent her up the road to Holland and Barrett. <laughs> True story. And then somebody said to me, you, know, you do know what good living means, don't you? And I was horrified to think those Christians were known as being good living. Because, you know, 
It's not just about, it's not about being respectable. It's not about making sure you don't drink or you don't smoke or you don't watch dodgy films or you don't go out with dodgy people. It's not about just coming to church every week. You can come to church every week for the whole of your life. You can lead an organization. You can teach in Sunday school. You can play in a worship team. You can preach from the pulpit. But if you've never actually given your yes to Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus, then it all means nothing. You might as well stay at home and watch songs of praise. It means nothing. Because Jesus isn't impressed by the good things that we do. You know, there's a scripture in, in the Bible, Romans 3, 23 and 24. And Romans 23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are in our natural state. And you know, all of these, all of these good things that we can do, they're maybe a bit like this shirt. It looks really, really nice, possibly. But you see, when God looks at us and all of our good works, he doesn't see good works. He sees he sees dirty rags. He sees things that are just unpleasant. See? That's how he sees us. That's how he sees us. That's how he sees our good works. And do you know what he says to us? He says, I want to take off that rags, those rags. Good job on wearing a t-shirt. Uh, otherwise, you'd all be coming for prayer afterwards. He says, you know, I want to take off the rags. I want you to take them off. And I want to put on you a clean cloth, a clean cloak called righteousness. And that righteousness is found in Jesus. There's nothing that we can ever do that's going to make God love us any more than he already does. There's nothing we can ever do that's going to impress him. But the one thing that's going to lead us back to him is what it says in verse 24. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the plot twist. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus. So in ourselves, we can't do, you can be as respectable and as good living as you want. It means nothing if you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you've never surrendered your life to him. You can't inherit it from your parents. Just because your parents came to Orangefield the whole of their lives, and you've come to Orangefield the whole of their lives, that makes you no more of a Christian. Because we have to give our yes to him. We have to commit to him. We have to die to ourselves. Because everything in ourselves is rubbish in comparison to knowing him. Without him, we're lost. But the plot twist is this, that with him, we find our life. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Everybody thought he was coming for a fight. But he wasn't. Jesus was coming to make peace between man and God. Jesus was coming, and he twisted the plot. He twisted everybody's expectations. And even death and the cross couldn't beat him. And today, we stand. If we know Jesus, we stand as people who are forgiven. And it's not about how good we are. It's not about how respectable we are. It's not even about how much money we give. It's about whether we've died to ourselves and given our all to Jesus. Would you bow your heads for a minute? I want to give you the opportunity on this Palm Sunday. There's going to be prayer ministry available at the end. But I want to give everybody just a minute before we finish, before we rush away, to ask yourself the question, have I really, have I really given my all to Jesus? Have I, have I been under this illusion that because I've done lots of good things and I've served the church faithfully all my life and, and, and I've, I've done lots of really respectable things and I have a good, respectable job, and have I, you know, but I realize that without Jesus, none of that stuff really means anything. 
If you're somebody who would like to give your life to Jesus, then I want to give you the opportunity just right now just to raise your hand, just quickly. Not going to ask for long, but if there's somebody here this morning, you're going, yeah, that's me. I realize I've been doing lots of good and respectable things, but I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. I've never really died to myself and allowed him full control and access to me. And this morning, there's a moment when that can change. And he takes off the dirty rags and he puts on the cloak of righteousness. He turns a plot twist in your life like one you've never known before. Is there anybody this morning? If you would like prayer ministry at the end, if you're somebody who's thinking, I'd really like prayer because I feel really distant from God because, because I disconnected in some way, then go to the prayer ministry team at the end. And allow them to bless you and to play with you. Perhaps this morning you're somebody and you know God's nudging you because he wants to use you to be a plot twist, to be an instrument of a plot twist in somebody else's life. As you sit there with your eyes closed for this moment, can you think of some situation or somebody and you know God's been nudging you, you need to go and, go and speak to them or go and help them in some way. To go and pray for them, to go and visit them to go and make friends with them. Who is God asking you to be the instrument of a plot twist for? Father, I thank you that you're the God of the unexpected. You do amazing things. Lord, I thank you that none of us are so bad that we are so far away from you that you can't reach down and touch us and change our lives. Lord, I thank you so much that I don't have to impress you by the things that I do. I want to thank you that you love me. And you love each of us. And I pray this morning for each of us that we would know how much you love us. And that this Easter will be a time where, again, the significance of the cross comes alive in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.